Next on Making Sense of the Madness, a Martin Luther King Day special with Dr. Carol Swain. She'll help us understand how to keep Dr. King's dream alive in the context of what's going on with the radical left. We're going to question the mainstream narrative and expose media propaganda right now. into my life and the ones that took an interest in me and steered me forward, they were white and many of them were white men. And these people encouraged me that I could do anything and I did not see myself as handicapped because I was black, I was a female, I was poor. I didn't see any of that until I got to graduate school. And then I learned that I was oppressed, that I was poor, that I was black, that I was a female, and that I couldn't do any of the things that I had already done. And so I believe the 1619 Project offers a very crippling message to our children. And I was spared from having that message uh, brought to me. And I believe that if I had been exposed to that, if I had internalized that negative message, I don't believe I would have been able to do the things that I've done in life. I believe in America. I believe America is the greatest country in the world. I'm a patriot. I want to do everything that I can for this nation to bring it together. And I think that we do need to learn to love and respect each other. And this negativity that's seeping into our schools, that's teaching the uh, uh, for one thing, white children are being shamed. They're being told to be ashamed of themselves because of the color of their skin, and black children are told that because of structural uh, discrimination that they can't, they can't, they can't. Mm -hmm. We have to counter that. We are at an important tipping point in this nation. What we do matters, and I believe that the 1776 project, that this project is an important historical moment, and we need people to get behind us. We need to make sure that our message reaches white, black, Asian, Hispanic, everyone. America is a great country, and we need to fight for it. Well, Dr. Carol Swain is an award-winning political scientist and former tenured professor at Princeton and Vanderbilt Universities, distinguished senior fellow for constitutional studies with the Texas Public Policy Foundation, and served on the Tennessee Advisory Committee to the U.S. Civil Rights Commission, in the National Endowment for the Humanities, and importantly, the 1776 Commission. We're going to talk about that. Dr. Swain, thank you so much for joining us. A author of 11 books, Black Eye for America, How Critical Race Theory is Burning Down the House. Can you tell us a little bit about the impact that that book has had? Well, I can tell you that Black Eye for America has been my best-selling book, and it was self-published. Like My other books uh, have been published by major publishers, and with Black Eye for America, it's a book that I needed to get out quickly. When you go through the traditional publishing route, it can take a year or two to get a book out. I had so many parents contacted me spring of 2021, trying to understand what was taking place in their schools and at their school board meetings. They didn't understand um, what was happening in the classroom. And so I uh, recruited Christopher Shore hired him first as a research assistant. He was so good. And he has a PhD from Georgetown to be my co-author. And we uh, wrote that book in two months. 
and got it out very quickly. And it was written for the American people. Uh, and it explains what critical race theory is, um, where it came from, how it manifests itself, why it's anti-Christian, it's anti-American, uh, runs counter to our constitution. And there are two chapters on how to fight back. That's so wonderful. I'm very and, proud and that's an important... of that book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very timely. And uh, what we can do about it, I want to get into that. But briefly, can you describe the difference between Dr. Martin Luther King's vision, uh, your opinion of that, and the vision of the critical race theory uh, ideology? I mean, the vision that we associate with Dr. King is that he wanted people to be judged by the content of their character rather than the color of their skin. And if you think about America and uh, the civil rights laws that were passed in the 1960s, those laws were passed to end discrimination on the basis of race, color, national origin, uh, sex. And um, what has happened today is that the critical race theorists, they are very much into racism. I mean, critical race theory itself is a racist theory. They want people to be judged and evaluated and promoted on the basis of the color of their skin. Dr. King's vision was about uh, a society where we were treated as equals, where our race didn't matter. We were individuals. Where if you look at the critical race theory theorists, they would argue that all white people are oppressors, all racial and ethnic minorities are victims, that when a white person comes out of the womb, uh, they are privileged, even if they're born in some shack in Appalachia and the parents never finished the second grade, that somehow they have more privileges uh, because of their white skin than the child of a black billionaire. And yes, there are black billionaires. And so the whole thing is ludicrous. It's rooted in cultural Marxism and conflict theory. It's meant to keep us at each other's throats. It can never bring about racial uh, reconciliation and healing because that's not the true goal. The true goal is to move us towards socialism and communism. Well, let's get to that important part, what we can actually do about it. So the two chapters that you wrote, can you give us the meat of that? Uh, the ones that, with the uh, steps on how to fight back? Right. Okay. Um, well, the first thing is to get knowledge, information about what CRT is, so that when you're in a discussion with someone and they say, oh, no, 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 we're not doing CRT. Uh, we're doing um, culture enhancement or or we're doing uh, uh, equality or equity. And what the left has done is change uh, the meanings of words. And so the words that um, we have taken for granted, some people think equity means equal opportunity. It does not mean equal opportunity. They want equal results. They want people to get the same results regardless of the efforts they put forth. And one of the most important things I think that people need to know is that critical race theory and DEI, the way it is being pushed in many institutions, it is a violation of our civil rights laws and our constitution. And so there are legal remedies available to people at, that they can pursue. And the books, uh, Critical Race Theory, uh, how, uh, how how critical race theory is burning in the house, uh, it also has an appendices and in the, it, that tells you 
uh, various things, such as a glossary of the different terms uh, that are used, such as action civics. Some people think, oh, that's wonderful, action civics. We're teaching people how to vote. Well, that's being used as a weapon to push an ideological agenda. And uh, there's the model school board language, and there's a list of organizations that can help parents uh, when, and teachers when they are in situations where they don't know what to do. They know that what's taking place is wrong. They see discrimination taking place in the classroom. They see children being harmed. Uh, there are organizations, some of them are legal, that can guide parents. And so the appendices are con- contain that as well. Well, it is a deception game, and they're playing a lot of games with these words and the mean, meanings of these words, so I think a glossary is very helpful. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk to you more about diversity, equity, and inclusion training and your alternative for it as soon as we get back. Government-induced inflation, taxes, rising interest rates, political instability. All of these can have a crushing effect on our investments, often causing the stock market to go down. But they can also cause gold and silver to go up. Hi, this is Dr. Kirk Elliott. Buy gold, buy silver, buy now, but buyer beware. Precious metals companies are not created equal. As a PhD economist, I've been in the financial, economic, and precious metals business for three decades. The philosophy of my firm is people over profit. I encourage you to read my bio to learn more about me at kirkelliotphd.com. Now is the time to own physical metals in an IRA, 401k, and outside of a retirement plan. Don't let the government destroy your hard-earned assets any longer. Call 720-605-3900 or visit kirkelliotphd.com. talking to Dr. Carol Swain about diversity, equity, and inclusion training that seems to have invaded uh, the corporate world and the educational world. And you have an alternative to this. Is that correct? Can you tell me what people can do if they feel like they have to do something diversity related, and yet they don't want this radical ideology a part of it? What are their options? Well, I can tell you that the summer of 2020, remember the summer of 2020 after George Floyd's death? There were riots all over the nation. I believe um, over 50, I'm going to get the numbers wrong, but I would I would guess no less than 50 cities had riots and protests. And during that summer, many of us were grappling with what was taking place. And what I saw happening was many corporations were pouring millions, of, if not billions of dollars into Black Lives Matter and organizations like that organizations that supported radical remedies. And I knew that that could never bring about racial healing and and reconciliation because it was all based on a conflict model. And the Black Lives Matter organization, the two of the founders, they said, we are trained Marxists. Now, you think about Marxism, a lot of people have gone to college, they've taken courses in philosophy. They know the theory of Marxism. But when someone tells me or you that I'm a trained um, a Marxist, trained um, Marxist means that they went off to some camp or they went to some type of learning facility and they learned the tactics of warfare. 
where two of the founders of Black Lives Matter de described themselves as trained Marxists. It's no way they could help bring about Dr. King's vision of bringing people together. And so summer of 2020, I'm grappling with all of this stuff. Like most Americans were, we didn't know what was happening. And like in the middle of the night, <laughs> and I was preparing for a talk, it just struck me, unity, unity, unity training. No, we don't need diversity training. We need unity training. And so the idea for my company was sort of birthed uh, in August of 2020. In November of 2020, I incorporated as an LLC. And so Unity Training Solutions, that was the original name. Now the name is Real Unity Training uh, Solutions because so many organizations that are doing divisive D, uh, DEI call themselves Unity Training. And so with Unity Training, the organization that I birthed that's online as Unity Training Solutions or Real Unity Training Solutions, it's about e pluribus unum, out of many one, bringing people uh, together as teams so that they can support the mission of their organization. And we have training that's consistent with the civil rights laws of 1964 that prohibit discrimination on the basis of race and sex and national origin uh, and those types of things. And we also have training, our training is consistent with the Equal Protection Clause of the Constitution that protects all individuals. And the goal of the Unity Training Solutions is to provide, you know, the historical overview. We need to know history. We need to know about uh, discrimination, what it looks like. But at the end of the day, if you work for an organization, the goal should be to stay on mission. And so that's the organization. We provide training to organizations such as churches, businesses, school boards, universities, uh, anywhere that they would want something that's different. They want training, but they don't want training that's going to divide their employees. And so that's a little bit of the background of Unity Training Solutions. Well, that makes perfect sense. I would say sense. it was a God-birth idea. Sure. It, it sounds like it's in aligned with the divine plan to bring us all together. And you even have a book uh, about what Jesus would think uh, nowadays, right? I mean, can you tell us about your latest book? Yes. I mean, that is the latest book. That book was published in September of 2021, uh, you know, right after the other book. And um, it's meant, you know, for Christians who are struggling with our culture, because it's so easy for people to just go along. And in that book, which is very short, I mean, it's um, from beginning to end with notes. It's like, a this is the, with the citations, it's 131 pages. But what I do is I use part of my, parts of my life to illustrate things. Like there's a chapter on life and I talk about abortion, euthanasia, um, these the scientific experiments where they fuse animal and human DNA to create new creatures. And in that chapter, I share the fact that I, as a young woman, had an abortion. Uh, chapter on marriage, uh, I've been divorced. Like, But I know what God has to say about marriage, what God says about life, 
what God says about race. And what we learn about race is that from one man, God created all nations of men. And we as Christian believers should be leading the way for the rest of the world. We don't need a secular humanism. We don't need a CRT or DEI to teach us how to get along. We should be modeling a unity because if anyone is a true Christian believer and they've read the Bible, when you get to the book of Revelation, they say that people from every nation and tribe and tongue will stand before the Lamb. That's all of us. And so as Christian believers, we should be modeling the way forward. And too many of us have gone along with the culture and the culture is set up to keep us divided. And there's a chapter on gender. And I know that some women uh, appreciate this, some don't, but the Bible has a very clear uh, guidelines about relationships and marriage uh, and what makes for a successful marriage. And for those of us who are Bible-believing, God instituted marriage. And so I've done my best, based on my knowledge, to use biblical scriptures, my life experiences, my knowledge of the culture, to put together a little tiny how-to book for people that they can uh, study if they would like, because there are questions at the end of each chapter. So it would be very perfect for a small group. And it was and commissioned by a church. <laughs> very interesting that all the radical left ideologies are godless. And if you look they at the Soviet are. Union <laughs> and, and, and Chinese communism, Maoism, it's always like they don't even want religion in the country. Uh, and yet Dr. Martin Luther King and you in this book are both reminding us of what God has to say about race and about unity. Uh, and so... You know, and I think it's good that you used your personal examples in the book. Uh, it seems like you have a very American story. So I wanted to show a reenactment that we have a five minute clip of a reenactment of your life. And, and I think it tells the story of why it's uniquely uh, American. Let's let's take a look. We were the poorest of the poor, and that was a part of the identity. I'm a university professor now, but I never uh, can remember a time growing up that I ever said, I want to be a university professor. I was born and raised in the rural South, and I was one of 12 children. I was second from the oldest. We lived in extreme poverty. The early part of my life, we lived in a two-room shack, and it was literally a shack. It's so tiny. And my elder sister and I and some of the younger, the children that were the first kids, we slept on the kitchen floor. The house did not have any running water or indoor plumbing, and not having a bathroom in the house, and so really having what the older people call a slop jar in the house and having to empty that. Uh, those are things that made it very difficult. You had to put a pot on the stove and heat up the, the water to bathe in. And all of us bathed from that same cruddy pail of water. And you know, you can imagine by the time it got to the third or fourth kid, it's pretty dirty. And it was not uncommon for us to go into the local dumps 
looking for whatever we could find. Growing up in that shack, all I can remember is just sadness. It was very depressed. I always felt unloved. There was always conflict in the house. There was never enough of anything. There were fights every Friday when my stepfather got paid. There would be a fight between my mother and uh, the stepfather, but these would be really violent fights. The most graphic memory is my stepfather chasing my mother with an ax, threatening to kill her, and the children, we, we were running around, you know, grabbing at his legs, uh, trying to protect our mother. Later, my mother moved to the city when I was probably 12 or 13 and became in involved with uh, social workers and welfare programs. And what I watched happen in my family was that it became a way of life for her and for some of my siblings. And I saw what a trap welfare is. And for many people, and still for some of my siblings, they've never held a steady job. At that time, I was a high school dropout. I had dropped out after completing the eighth grade. I felt shame, I felt, I felt fear, I was depressed. And so I married at 16, not because I was in love. I married a neighbor that was a little bit older just to get away from home. Part of the misery that I experienced in my childhood, some of it just continued into my marriage and into my early life. At some point, uh, I started taking bottles of pills and I really wanted to die. I had the experience of being in the hospital after one of my suicide gestures, having a medical doctor tell me that I was intelligent, that I was attractive, and that kind of shocked me because I was, you know, at least 20, 21, and I'd never heard anyone tell me that I was attractive. He said, you're intelligent, you're attractive, you can do more with your life. I took a job outside the home, I filed for divorce, everything started to change, and at one of the nursing homes where I was working as a nurse's aide, I met an African orderly from Sierra Leone. He said, you ought to go to college. And those words changed my life. I studied hard. I earned my GED. I worked hard doing whatever I could do to get by. And I was able to graduate from a community college go on to a four-year college and graduate magna cum laude, and I went on to earn several graduate degrees. Somehow, I always believed that I could do it, that I could better myself, that I was not meant to be poor. I was able to far exceed anything that I imagined for myself or anyone else, probably, that was watching my life unfold. These milestones, my accomplishments, didn't come easy. It was through hard work, it was perseverance, a can-do spirit that I attribute to the grace of God. It is so amazing what a little encouragement and direction can do. But the system itself doesn't encourage people to better themselves. The social welfare programs that we have in America puts a band-aid on the problem but it does not fix it. The only thing these programs do is create 
in the long term, a sense of entitlement that results in a loss of self-worth for the individual. The truth is, people feel good about themselves when they can work and provide for themselves and for their families. Inflation is out of control. The price of gasoline has doubled in a very short time and interest rates are set to rise. How do you protect and grow your portfolio to make sure that you do not outlive your assets? Invest in annuities that have rate lock. RateLock is an innovative new feature that allows you to lock in your rate of return at any time during the year to lock in these volatile upswings of the market. And unlike CDs and money market accounts, they accumulate tax-deferred and can participate in the upside of market indexes. And they're probate-free, and they can provide income that you can't outlive. With all the different companies, features, indexes, and benefits which annuities offer, it can be confusing to choose which annuity is best for your unique situation. Let a company you can trust help you select a RateLock annuity that's right for you. Add an annuity to your retirement portfolio and start enjoying the many benefits that smart investors love. Call the Cleveland Insurance Group at 844-USA-2024. That's the Cleveland Insurance Group at 844-USA-2024. The Cleveland Insurance Group, 844-USA-2024. When you think about racial equality and civil rights, which political party comes to mind, the Republicans or the Democrats? Most people would probably say the Democrats, but this answer is incorrect. Since its founding in 1829, the Democratic Party has fought against every major civil rights initiative and has a long history of discrimination. The Democratic Party defended slavery, started the Civil War, opposed Reconstruction, founded the Ku Klux Klan, imposed segregation, perpetrated lynchings, and fought against the Civil Rights Acts of the 1950s and 1960s. In contrast, the Republican Party was founded in 1854 as an anti-slavery party. Its mission was to stop the spread of slavery into the new Western territories with the aim of abolishing it entirely. This effort, however, was dealt a major blow by the Supreme Court in the 1857 case, Dred Scott versus Sanford. The court ruled that slaves aren't citizens, they're property. The seven justices who voted in favor of slavery, all Democrats. The two justices who dissented, both Republicans. The slavery question was, of course, ultimately resolved by a bloody civil war. The commander-in-chief during that war was the first Republican president, Abraham Lincoln, the man who freed the slaves. Six days after the Confederate Army surrendered, John Wilkes Booth, a Democrat, assassinated President Lincoln. Lincoln's vice president, a Democrat named Andrew Johnson, assumed the presidency. But Johnson adamantly opposed Lincoln's plan to integrate the newly freed slaves into the South's economic and social order. Johnson and the Democratic Party were unified in their opposition to the 13th Amendment, which abolished slavery, the 14th Amendment, which gave blacks citizenship, and the 15th Amendment, which gave blacks the vote. 
all three passed only because of universal Republican support. During the era of Reconstruction, federal troops stationed in the South helped secure rights for the newly freed slaves. Hundreds of black men were elected to Southern state legislatures as Republicans, and 22 black Republicans served in the U.S. Congress by 1900. The Democrats did not elect a black man to Congress until 1935. But after Reconstruction ended, when the federal troops went home, Democrats roared back into power in the South. They quickly reestablished white supremacy across the region with measures like black codes, laws that restricted the ability of blacks to own property and run businesses, and they imposed poll taxes and literacy tests used to subvert black citizens' right to vote. And how was all of this enforced? By terror, much of it instigated by the Ku Klux Klan founded by a Democrat, Nathan Bedford Forrest. As historian Eric Foner, himself a Democrat, notes, in effect, the Klan was a military force serving the interests of the Democratic Party. President Woodrow Wilson, a Democrat, shared many views with the Klan. He resegregated many federal agencies and even screened the first movie ever played at the White House, the racist film, The Birth of a Nation, originally entitled The Klansman. A few decades later, the only serious congressional opposition to the landmark Civil Rights Act of 1964 came from Democrats. 80% of Republicans in Congress supported the bill, less than 70% of Democrats did. Democratic senators filibustered the bill for 75 days until Republicans mustered the few extra votes needed to break the logjam. And when all of their efforts to enslave blacks, keep them enslaved, and then keep them from voting had failed, the Democrats came up with a new strategy. If black people are going to vote, they might as well vote for Democrats, as President Lyndon Johnson was purported to have said about the Civil Rights Act, I'll have them voting Democrat for 200 years. So now, the Democratic Party prospers on the votes of the very people it has spent much of its history oppressing. Democrats falsely claim that the Republican Party is the villain, when in reality, it's the failed policies of the Democratic Party that have kept blacks down. Massive government welfare has decimated the black family. Opposition to school choice has kept them trapped in failing schools. Politically correct policing has left black neighborhoods defenseless against violent crime. So when you think about racial equality and civil rights, which political party should come to mind? I'm Carol Swain, professor of political science and law at Vanderbilt University for Prager University. We're talking to Dr. Carol Swain about her life story. And Carol, have you ever considered what your life could have been like if you weren't in the United States of America? Could you speak on that, the idea that your life story is possible because of our America system? I can tell you that growing up as a child, I always believed I lived in the greatest nation in the world. And the messages I received were messages that if you worked hard and you got an education, you could make something of yourself. And because of that, I was able to make a decision to uh, get a college education. But as the video uh, shows, I dropped out of school first. And 
worked my way through a GED, uh, a community college, and then went on to, you know, earn the five college and university degrees. And I graduated magna cum laude from my uh, four-year college, Roanoke College. And I never knew, you know, that I would become a university professor. That was not a desire of mine as I was growing up. But people came into my life who supported me and steered me. And most of those people were not people like me. Uh, They were white. Many of them were men. And they encouraged me to continue my education. I would have stopped, you know, probably after the community college degree if it had not been for people who believed in me and encouraged me to continue my education. It's a beautiful story, and uh, it's nice that you are giving credit to those who helped you along the way as well, although it, it took a lot of effort from your side. Um, I want to talk to you briefly about uh, the artist formerly named, named uh, Kanye West, now goes by Ye, talking about abortion as a race issue. I was wondering if you could speak on that. I mean, I think that right, that abortion, the way it's pushed on Americans, especially Black Americans, it's genocidal. It is a race issue. And what is very disturbing to me is that you see so many Black women, Black leaders uh, defending abortion or trying to make access easier. Uh, If you look at the Black population, you know, the Hispanic population as far as surpass the Black population, the black community has aborted, you know, millions of would-be Democrat voters or would-be voters or would-be persons. And uh, it is a race issue. If Republicans were pushing uh, abortion the way Democrats push it on the minority communities, we would, they would call it genocide. Uh, Everyone would be up in arms. But it seems that with the Democratic Party, you find them engaging in behaviors that are very detrimental, whether it's pushing sterilization on people or abortion. Uh, these things are done by progressives. They've done all, they're done all the time by white liberal progressives. And it's sad to see that they have racial and ethnic minorities that they have been able to persuade to help them carry forth, forth an evil agenda against racial and ethnic minorities. And I would also say it's against everyone now because there's such a focus on population control. The billionaires and the globalists, they're very open about trying to reduce the population. And so abortion is a means of population control. It's not for the benefit of the unborn who are being killed. Well, this is such an important and divisive issue, and it's something the Republicans, I think, tend to shy away from, even though a lot of their constituents care a lot about the issue. Uh, Republican politicians and leaders uh, want to play it safe in the debates and on their platforms and so forth. Uh, so could you speak on that, how, how the left is just 100% going for it, uh, going for their issue, whatever it is, and Republicans tend to... Uh, be weak even on their own issues. What's happened is that the Republican Party, many of the leaders, they're no longer guided by principles, if they ever were. If you're guided by a principle, you're not shifting all over the place. You're not wondering what you need to do. You apply your values and your principles. You make a decision. 
when I became a Republican uh, in the early, t- uh, well, in, in the 2000s, I became, and I was a Democrat most of my life. Then I was independent. Then I became uh, a Republican. I became a Republican because of the party platform, their emphasis on God, family, and nation. And I see a Republican party today that is unprincipled often, and they seem to want to be like the Democrats. And when it comes to abortion and the sanctity of human life, there are people that seem to be awfully confused about that. Uh, It's dismaying to me to see how confused Republican politicians are. And they believe, you know, that this is how you get the female vote. This is what women want. Uh, I don't believe that's what women want. And even if it was what women wanted, taking an unborn life and having these debates about whether or not you should render care to a baby that's born when the mother wanted an abortion, the baby was born alive. The whole idea that anyone would oppose Rendering care because there are people who have survived abortion enough of them that they have their own organization. I mean, how what humane country would even debate this? But it, you know, it's up for debate. And with progressive politicians, uh, and most of these in the Democratic Party, uh, they don't believe you should render care to babies that's that's a stark example of how when we when we stray from our principles uh we can get uh, taken advantage of by a more aggressive political opponent um and uh, there are other principles it's not just the spiritual and family values that have been strayed from it's the constitutional uh values and, and beliefs can you speak on your your work with the 1776 commission and how important it is for americans to know the history of america Well, the 1776 commission was short-lived. It was announced December 20th, 2020, and that was during and after the election. And we were able to quickly get out one report, but our whole purpose was to counter the false information that was coming from the 1619 Project about America's founding. And we wanted to prepare for the uh, anniversary of the uh, of seventeen seventy six com- of, of of the Declaration of Independence, uh, and so we were to put out a report to help teachers and people that wanted to know America's true history and the importance of the Declaration of Independence, uh, informing our values as a nation. And it was the Declaration of Independence, its values and principles that led the way for the ending of slavery, uh, for the ending of um, for women's rights, and just for all of the things that have made America strong and positive. And uh, so, the Declaration of of Independence is like it's 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 the core of 1776. Uh, and that is something that we wanted people to know about that and not be misguided by people who argued that America was birthed in 1619 in slavery and that it was always a racist country. Uh, within the Declaration of Independence, there were the words that eventually led to the emancipation of blacks. And it has led to many of the uh, ideals, the policies, the programs that have distinguished America from other nations of the world. And when we look at our constitution 
and its Bill of Rights. All of that, you know, goes back to the values in the 1776 um, Declaration of Independence. So important. And uh, maybe we can win another election and get that project started back up and you can be a part of it. Uh, we're going to take a really quick break. When we come back, I want to ask you about where we're at right now as far as race relations in the United States compared to just a few years ago as soon as we get back. I'm Clay Clark and I'm not an inventor. And this is Bob. My name is Bob Healy and I'm the inventor of the Grill Blazer Grill Cut. Gentlemen, let me introduce you to the grill gun. Oh! I would have greened that anyway. I need that! Yes! So, Bob, how does your equation work? Okay, now hang on. It's a fairly sophisticated equation. You have a grill gun, it creates fire. Fire plus grilling equals America. Push it down and... Yeah. <laughs> it is a lot of fun. Check it out! <laughs> Fire plus grilling equals America. Hi, I'm Carol Swain, former professor of political science and law at Vanderbilt University. Before that, I was a tenured professor at Princeton University. I am a conservative. I have a podcast. I write articles and books. I am educating the world. The world is my classroom. Welcome to my classroom. I want to thank you so much for being here. My I really pleasure. appreciate it. And in your intro, you talked about how you are a conservative and people will look at you and they say, a black conservative? I didn't know those people existed. How did you get to the, the point of where you're at now? Well, I was born and raised in the country, a rural Virginia, a southerner. And so with that comes common sense. Now, common sense is in short supply these days. So I had common sense. And so even when I was a Democrat and I was not a conservative, I was not necessarily seeing the world as everyone else did. And so I can always say that my perspective on the world was different. I think that helped explain that I did have success in academia during the years that I was a Democrat. But after I had a Christian conversion experience and I became more conservative, then um, the world changed for me. It's kind of the common sense values. I totally agree with that because I went through college and, and I thought I was a, a liberal or more of a, a leftist type of person. But then I realized that the common sense values that I had actually lined up with conservatism. And I found that a lot of people actually had those same kind of values. But right now in America, especially at the universities and with all these young people rioting and marching in the streets, we're seeing really, like you said, a huge lack of common sense. What do you think is the, the biggest problem facing these communities right now? One of the biggest problems is that young people who have been educated at our colleges, universities, middle schools, that they're not being taught critical thinking skills and that it's so much indoctrination. And so they are out there, bless their hearts, they're trying to change the world. They don't even understand the world. And so they are out there trying to fix things, but they are clueless in a lot of ways. Yeah, one of the things that we're seeing right now is the amount of protesting going on for George Floyd's death and Black Lives Matter really bolstering itself up. Do you think that Black Lives Matter is doing a lot of good for 
young African-Americans in our country right now? Okay, in 2016, I gave a CNN interview. I was debating a, a, an attorney in L.A. named Areva Martin. And at that time, the uh, five police officers in Dallas had been slain. And I pointed out, because I'd gone to the Black Lives Matter website, that they were Marxists. It looked like, you know, that the planks came from the Communist Manifesto. They were talking about overthrowing the state. And at that time, I said that Black Lives Matter was a destructive force in our society, and it was a problem. And I caught a lot of grief for saying that. Now the um, founders of Black Lives Matter, they've come out, they're they've come out as Marxists. And what I see is people not being able to discern between the statement Black Lives Matter in the same way that all lives matter. They can't distinguish between the, the slogan that's a true statement and the organization that's Marxist. And I believe that the organization itself is using black people to advance a Marxist agenda. And the corporations, the schools, the churches, the people that have gotten behind Black Lives Matter, the organization, they think they're helping black people. They think they're showing support for black people, but actually it's the opposite. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, and I want to give each and every one of you one last chance to get my original My Slippers. Go to MyPillow.com or call the number on your screen now. Use your promo code, and you'll get your very own My Slippers for only $49.98. That's $90 off and the biggest savings ever. What makes My Slippers different is my exclusive four-layer design that you won't find in any other slippers. My Slippers patented layers make them ultra comfortable, extremely durable, and they help reduce stress on your feet. Not only that, they come with an indoor-outdoor sole so you can wear them anytime, anywhere. I guarantee they'll be the most comfortable slippers you'll ever own. And now you can get them for the best savings ever, only $49.98. Go to MyPillow.com or call the number on your screen now to get your very own My Slippers for only $49.98. That's $90 off. We have extremely low quantities, and once they're gone, they're gone. So order now. Who do you trust? And should you? The small, untrustworthy group of people who own and control almost every industry Hope you will not even entertain the questions, let alone put in the time to explore the answers. These two volumes of The World Awakens are an encyclopedia of trusted sources who give their honest overview of our real history, the world today, and what lies ahead. Get The World Awakens, Volume 1 and 2, signed by author John Michael Chambers, for only $50 each. Or bundle the two and add Genocide Jab, all three signed hardbacks for $120. Order today at fnews.us. For unsigned and all other formats, visit Amazon or Barnes & Noble. Talking to Dr. Carol Swain about race relations in the United States, you know, just a few years ago I would have said that we've made some progress, things were going pretty well. And then, as you mentioned, the uh, summer of George Floyd protests and the acceleration of radical ideology and pop culture and so forth, I would say we're not in the best place and we've gone downhill. It's gotten worse. So what about you? What, what's your take on that? I would say that uh, pre-Obama election, we thought we were, you know, post-racial. 
that blacks and racial and ethnic minorities had made so much progress in America that we were just moving, you know, towards that grand vision, closer to King's vision. And then during the Obama uh, administration, there were changes that were made, whether it was the restorative justice that was put in place that made it more difficult for teachers and superintendents superintendents to suspend um, unruly students or, or made it more difficult for the criminal justice system to deal with repeat offenders that were children. Uh, we saw racism, we saw race being uh, used as a weapon during that administration. And I saw, you know, really the cultural Marxism on the college campuses where you ended up with the, you know, political correctness, the, it was always there, but not at the same level, the trigger warnings where professors were supposed to announce that they might say something that would offend somebody. And so they needed to announce that, you know, the personal pronouns, uh, safe spaces, all of those things just begin to change. But I would say that with race relations, during the Obama administration, there were people that were put in place. All they did was stir the pot. And when it came to police, like we can always improve in certain areas. And with the policing, you know, there's always going to be a few bad apples in every field, but it was never to the point uh, that it was it was it was never so bad that you needed to discredit the whole criminal justice system and and have blacks believe you know that they were hated you know by police or by white people the divisiveness all of that you saw it being heightened during the obama administration and it has not abated and then when president trump was elected of course he and all white people were labeled as white supremacists and before Obama, a white supremacist was a white person who believed that their white skin made them superior to other racial and ethnic groups. There were very few true white supremacists, and the KKK, Ku Klux Klan, was waning. They probably did not have 2,000 members among 350 Americans. We saw uh, after the Obama administration that everything that was done was to pit one race against another. And that uh, is just the reality. That's the playbook, the leftist playbook to get us to be in conflict with each other. Uh, And so when we recognize it, we can overcome it. And uh, that's what you're doing with your unity trainings, the real unity trainings. Uh, can we switch gears and talk a little bit about the spiritual side, about the, the role of the church? Because, uh, you know, it's, it's just interesting that you're an academic, uh, you've got the PhD and everything, you can speak academically, uh, and yet you're also a Christian. So there are different roles for the different institutions. Uh, can you speak on, on that, on the role of the church right now with what we're going through? I can tell you that I had a late Christian conversion experience in my 40s. And this was after I had been tenured at Princeton University uh, during the late 1990s was when I had my Christian conversion experience. And when I started my job at uh, Vanderbilt, I started as a new Christian. What I've noticed about the Christian church is that many churches, they just seem to be kind of off the rails. They don't know what to do. 
And when it comes to the uh, cultural Marxists, when they talk about social justice, the, the term social justice, it sounds so wonderful and churches want to embrace that. And when uh, white people are called out as oppressors, you know, no one wants to be an oppressor. And what I've found is that most of our churches are following the culture. And there are a lot of pastors that avoid uh, discussing abortion. They are afraid they offend someone. And it's actually something you would hope they would address because in their pews are women, you know, these, you know, petite church women that have had abortions that are in misery or in agony. And now for many of those women, uh, to know that they can, that it is sin, that they can confess that sin, they can claim the forgiveness. They don't have to hide it. They, I mean, they can go to someone where they can get it off their chest. Uh, that should be the role of churches to acknowledge that we are all flawed as human beings. We're all imperfect. Uh, we're never going to get it completely right. Dr. King, you know, th- this is his birthday. He was not a perfect man. He made a lot of mistakes, uh, but we all do. And I think that with the churches, the worst thing they can do is follow the culture. Christians are supposed to be counterculture. We're supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. And for us to re- get, to reclaim, you know, whatever power God has endowed us with, it would require us to walk the walk, you know, and talk the talk and to be real and to be authentic and not fear what will happen to us if we stand on our values and principles. And I think today that many people fear that they'll lose their jobs or they will lose something. A a pastor may fear that if he actually preaches about what's wrong with the culture and about some of the issues that are affecting his congregants, that maybe some people will leave the church. So, and then he will not be able to get the same amount of donations uh, coming in each week. And somebody might be offended uh, that's a lack of faith in God that you would steer your preaching based on, you know, how much income you think you're going to get each week from your congregants. The church in America is broken. I am a Southern Baptist. Before being a Southern Baptist, um, I was born into a Methodist family, and then I was uh, Pentecostal, and then I was charismatic, and so it's sort of been all over the place. But presently, I'm a Southern Baptist, and what I've watched happen there is that critical race theory and some of those uh, ideologies have infected uh, the Southern Baptist Convention and it's turned apart the organization, turned apart the churches. And it's not just race, it's also critical queer theory. All of these come from you know, the same Marxism. So the church in America is in trouble. But I think that if we return to our Judeo- Christian values and principles. And now now I'm only talking to Christians because people outside of the Christian umbrella, uh, you know, they're not, they don't understand. They're not meant to understand, but for Christian Christians that are Bible believing, we have a guidebook. And unfortunately there's some evidence to suggest, you know, in revelations and the book of Daniel, that things are going to get worse. That things are not necessarily going to get better. I believe for America, the only hope is another uh, great awakening, a revival. And I would encourage Christians, you know, to pray, you know, for revival, pray for truth, because there is a spirit of deception that is hovering over America, that so many people are deceived. They're totally deceived. And we saw uh, the fear 
that surrounded the coronavirus, just how the media and the politicians were able to create so much fear, but also cause family members to turn on each other. Uh, people pretty much abandoned their loved ones in the nursing homes. Uh, in some cases, you know, they could have taken them out. Terrible things happen out of fear. And that's not how Christians are supposed to live their lives. Well, that's a really good point. It brings us back to what we were talking about with Republicans following the culture, straying from their principles, not having enough courage. Uh, and it's just a lack of leadership. When you follow the right. crowd, when you follow the Democrats, follow the culture, uh, then you end up in the same place. Uh, and so we need to get, get back to basics. And I do believe those spiritual principles uh, should be a part of the Republican platform as well. Well, we're, we're running out of time here. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about what you're working on now and what you're you know, going to be doing looking forward. Uh, 11 books under your belt. Do you have another one you're working on? How about these uh, alternatives to diversity and equity inclusion training? It, still working on that full steam. Tell me uh, what you're going to be doing now and how people can connect with you. I'm working on my memoir, and I hope to uh, get it out by the end of this year. And so that's my top uh, project. And I've also, you know, had someone approach me about writing uh, uh, or co-authoring co -authoring a book on prayers, prayers for the last days. I may do that. And um, I always have far more book projects than are humanly possible. I wanted to write one to counter those people who argue that there's no CRT in the classroom. Of course, there's CRT in the classroom. There's DEI, there's queer theory. There are all sorts of things in the classroom rather than solid academics. And so I always have more book projects than I need. But my memoir is at the top of the list now because I believe that at my age, uh, that it's time for me to share uh, more details about my life and how I was able to survive and become the woman I am today. But I am a person of faith and I believe that God knows us before we we know him in some cases. So I was not raised in a Christian family where everyone was going to church, but everything about my life would would show that God was actively involved every step of the way, guiding me, directing me, closing doors, opening doors, and he's still involved. And so at the end of the day, whatever I accomplish it would be uh, through his strength and by his will. And so I have no idea what the future holds. I'm just along for the ride. Well, I think you sharing your story is impactful. And I was happy that you're able to do that with us today. And I, I think that uh, Dr. Martin Luther King would be uh, smiling down on us as we keep his dream alive by having this discussion uh, because he was trying to save America back then. And we're trying to save America right now through those same principles and uh, spiritual beliefs. So thank you for joining us today. And thank you all of you for watching AmericanMediaPeriscope.com. We are America's Patriot-only network. You can get my breaking news updates at SeanMorganReport.com. God bless all you patriots. Good night and good luck.